lyrics. One, I, if we can't, that's fine. The, the, the lyrics about there is hope. I can't remember the lyrics completely, but it was really good. Uh, oh yeah, there it is. Uh, there is hope in the promise of the cross. Now they didn't know I was going to be teaching on this completely, but there is hope in the promise of the cross. You gave everything to save the world you love, and this hope is an anchor for my soul. Our God will stand unshakable. That's really good. I like that a lot. I think there's a lot in that. And um, is that me? Am I buzzing? Am I buzzing? Do I need to speak into this one? Uh, can y'all hear me all right? All good? Okay. Um, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that, um, and, and it's, it, it is really good. So anyway, um, we're really going to be speaking about that hope this morning, I think. By the way, did y'all have a good July 4th? Pretty good. Some fireworks. Some people shot fireworks. Some people got rained out. Um, my son thought it was the best night ever, shooting fireworks. He's kept on saying this is the most awesomest night ever. Um, and so we had a lot of fun. I hope you did as well. The Ethiopia team is out. We got quite a few people out. John is on vacation, obviously. Um, and so I have the opportunity to come speak to you. Uh, like often around this time, like Independence Day or different like memorials like this, I think of my grandfather. He was a really interesting guy. My grandfather was a World War II guy. And actually when he, uh, I've told some people this story before. When he was in World War II, he, he got shot by, or not shot, a bomb kind of blew up beside him when he was in an airplane, and, um, and the shrapnel ran up his arm, and, uh, and he had to go get surgery after, the, uh, after that, and when he was coming out of this surgery, and you probably heard, some of you have probably heard this before, he was, he was kind of delusional, right? Like, he, he, you've seen those, all those videos with, like, people who are delusional when they're, like, coming off of the drugs that they're on. Like, they really drug you up really good, you know, and then you come off and you start saying some crazy stuff, right? Well, uh, you've seen the people, you know what I'm talking about, those videos? Like, the, the, the one that I saw recently was the, the girl who said she wanted to go to the moon for womankind, not mankind. You, you, have y'all seen that? Y'all have no idea what I'm talking about? It's really funny. You should look at it. So my grandfather, when he's coming off of this, um, uh, off of these drugs, basically, he becomes so delusional, he's cussing out everybody, and he starts trying to fight all the nurses and, the, and everybody that's in the, uh, and he's just letting it fly, you know, like, and they, he's cussing at them so much that he's at, they've actually got to restrain him at that point and put him back under on drugs because he was, like, trying to fight everybody. Um, like, all that to say, like, there must have been some pretty messed up, like, subconscious stuff going on in his life, you know, like, no telling what was going on in there. But, uh, but he was a pretty, pretty, uh, pretty big rascal, I guess. I don't know exactly. He was a pretty wild guy. And, and, but then later in life, he got saved at a much later age. He got saved at about, about 45, 50, something like that. He got saved. And, and uh, another time he's gone into surgery, as the story goes, this time when he's coming out off the drugs, this is after he's gotten saved, he's like de- delusional again. He, he must just do weird stuff when he's like under drugs. I don't know. But he, uh, he's coming off and he's singing hymns so loud. He's singing hymns so loud, they actually have to sedate him again because he's singing, he's singing hymns so loud. They're like, this guy is so wild, you know, singing hymns that they've got to put him back under. Now, that's kind of a cool testimony and would make it for a funny video, that's for sure. So he's, he was a really interesting guy, and, and my dad and I would always debate around them, right? We would always have, like, these deep, like, theological debates around the kitchen table, you know, whatever it would be. I it doesn't matter, like just say Calvinism and Arminianism or something like that. We'd be having like these debates and my grandfather would always pop in 
and uh, he was living with my parents at the time, and he would always pop in, and is that me? Am I doing that? Maybe. Um, he would always chime in, and he would say, he would say, there's only one thing you got to know. There, y'all, are, y'all are like wasting your time debating all, all that stuff. And there's, there's one thing that you've got to know. And he would just pick up his Bible and he would read John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And he would just he would just read that passage as we're like in the midst of some debate. And we'd always like joke around and say, oh, Grandfather, you know, like, why did, the, why did God give the whole Bible then? You know, if he just needed us to know this one passage of Scripture. And... Uh, but I've, over time, I've begun to realize the wisdom of what he was, like, saying in, in that. Like, there was, there, was, there was some good wisdom to pull from that. In fact, he pretty much, for his, like, 35 years as a pastor, preacher, he pretty much said the same message uh, every Sunday in different variations. I mean, it had to be terrible for his congregants. I don't know. But uh, the church grew. Uh, they loved him for it. He, but he preached the same exact message of just simple faith every single Sunday. Um, now, obviously, y'all would probably get bored with that. But, um, but I think it's really important because the more I talk to people, the more I realize, um, and especially like college students and adults, what I, what I find is people have kind of gotten lost in the simple message of Christ in a lot of ways. They've kind of got lost in, the, in just this, in what, it, what the simple message of Christ. And here's the thing about God. It, it, you, it, we've got to realize that if God wanted to be ambiguous or like get, be confusing, he obviously could be. But Jesus, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, as a messenger to be very precise in his language to us. To be very specific in what he's calling us to. To be very specific on what it is to have eternal life and how to get there where he's going and all these different things. He was very precise in that. And so Jesus was a a very clear communicator. But us, in our ways, have the tendency to to make it a lot more confusing and take that simple message of Jesus and turn it into something it's not. You know, maybe it's because of like, Christian literature in some ways that like tells you to be um, like I wrote some of the book titles down you know radical greater crazy faster stronger smarter stupider you know all those different titles that are out there they're calling you to do all this different stuff and it could get really confusing because like one's calling you to be crazy and one's calling you to be smarter and another one's calling you to be radical and another one's calling you to be uh, um, good with your whatever you know and so it can get really confusing. Now, in their proper context, those things can be really good. Those things can be awesome. They can be really good. But if you confuse the context, you'll, you'll get messed up. You'll end up in a place, and this is what I find with more people often than not, is that they end up in a place of being really confused about their insurance and what the gospel actually is. So I want you to pretend for a minute, okay? I want you to, because this is a really good question, uh, the guys at the farm, we work through this a lot. This is a really good question, and it'll help you really, like, think through the motives of your own heart and what you're placing your trust in. Think for a minute that you're in a courtroom, okay? God's courtroom. We're all up there, standing up there. Just think for a minute. You're in this courtroom. You're standing before the Lord. I'm sure many of you know what it's like to be in a courtroom um, because y'all were a bunch of rascals yourself. Um, and you've standed, stood before a judge. Don't look at me like you've never 
you know, whatever. Y'all have all been in courtrooms at some time. And, and you know what it is to be like in that uh, fearful state to some, uh, to some degree and to be judged by the law um, and to stand before a judge. Now think for a minute. This is an important question. This is a really important question. What is it to stand before a judge? Okay, to stand before a judge, the creator of the universe, and he asks you clearly, why should I justify you or let you in? Think about that question for a minute. What would you say? What would you say if God's standing before you? Would you really know precisely, be able to communicate it in a clear way? If you were standing before the creator of the universe and he asked you, why should I let you in? Don't you think that's a pretty important question that you should have cleared up? Maybe before you stand before him, most likely, yeah. Like, what would be your answer? And, and this is really going to help uh, just tell the motives of your heart in a lot of ways. This question will. I promise you it will. Because think about it this way. Most people, most people I talk to have some form of Jesus plus they've added something on. So they said, Jesus, plus I was a committed person. They say, Jesus, plus I was a spiritual person. Maybe you say, like, you look to the person to your right or to the left, and you say, like, but God, I was better than um, this person was. You know, like, uh, you know, everybody's better than Randy, right? Um, Everybody has got to be better than Randy. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, And so, like, you know, maybe you, that is the motive of your heart. You're like, Jesus, but plus I'm, I'm better than this person over here. You know, I'm going to make it because I'm actually better than this person. Or you say, Jesus, because I was a church person, you know, like I went to church. That was, that was the, the, the goal was to, to be Jesus plus become a good person, go into church type stuff. You know, or maybe if you're really like, if you really got the spiritual lingo down, if you've got it really good and you're really sharp, you say, Jesus, plus like I'm selling everything I've got. I'm selling everything I've got. I've sold it all. You know, I sold everything before you, you know, so like you've got the good Christian lingo down. So you've sold all you all you are, you know, and or maybe it's like Jesus and I tried really hard or maybe it's any number of those things. Go back, evaluate the answer that you gave, you know, earlier to that question. What would you say when you stand before the Lord? How do I receive grace? How do I get into the, uh, get into heaven? What is going to justify me before God? What was your answer to that? Because it'll help judge the motives of your heart. Now, I want to work through and work back so we can be as clear as possible. Galatians 3.10 says this. For as many as are the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. So what is that saying? What is that? There's some, like, I think I've put down the King James. I'm sorry um, in that, but it, uh, it can be kind of helpful. But it, you get the idea of what's being said there, I think. It's saying if you put Jesus plus something, you'll be judged according to that plus something. Okay? So if you say Jesus plus my church attendance, 
plus my church attendance. So you're, you're a, a good boy and girl, and you come to church every Sunday without fail. Here's the, here's the deal. You will be judged according to that in some, in some sense. Stay with me. You will, you will be judged according to that, that church attendance. So then you've got to ask, what is the standard for that church attendance? What is the standard for that church attendance? If you're basing Jesus plus, I'm, I'm going to church. What is the standard for that? At the end of, of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So the standard that you put, the law that you say you are going to be judged by, you're a committed person, you're a church attender, you've stopped some particular sin, you must do that perfectly. Did you get that? The standard that God requires of you is perfection. The standard that God is calling you to is perfection. So the question becomes, can you do that perfectly? So so you will be um, required, think back even, think back in in the Old Testament, there was a requirement for sin. What was that requirement for sin? It was, it was death, right? It was the shed blood of a lamb. What was the requirement of that lamb? What was the requirement? Perfection. Without spot or blemish. Without spot or blemish. That was God's righteous standard by which it was to be judged by. Was it perfect? Was it perfect? So going back to this, James 2.10 says, even if you were able to say, go to church perfectly. You're a good church attender your whole life after faith. I mean, um, you're in here, like if the doors are open, you're here, you know, you're going to Sunday school, you're doing all those things. You're like really good at this thing of going to church, right? Like you're the best church attender there could ever be. If there was a plaque, a reward for church attendance, you would get that plaque because you're the best of the best. You're the very best of the best, 100% all the time. You did it perfectly. You were 100% at church. You loved it so much, you're like raising your hands when you're at church. You know, you're down at the front. You're the all-in church person, and you did it perfectly. Uh, and, And I'm not saying those things are it, but James says this. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the whole law. So you're a really good church attender. You do that really well. You know, like you've come to church. You're really good at doing that. You're really good at showing up. You're really doing it all the church and these stuff. Okay? You're good at that. But you're really bad at, at home with your family. You know, like you're you're the guy like behind the scenes who's like messing up all the time, who's like really bad with his kids, whatever it may be. Or maybe it's even you're like uh, you have just this little problem. It's just a little problem of just telling little white lies. I like to embellish things a little bit. I like to tell that the fish is a little bit bigger than it really was. You know, like I like to tell like I climbed a, a 12 thousand foot mountain instead it was just like a three thousand foot foothill you know like you're that guy telling the little white lie you know like you embellish the story all the time you are but here's what it here how many sins does it take how many times if you are tell one lie 
I tell a little lie, you know, like the fish was like six pounds and it was, and I say it's 10 and it's just a little lie, right? It's just a little tiny lie. What does that lie make me? It makes me a liar. And this, and scripture says that it, you know, I was perfect at attending church at being a church person, but I, I messed up in one single area. I just messed up once even. It says I'm a transgressor of the whole. I've completely messed it up. I've completely messed up this thing. I am really, you know, not going to be able to stand before the Lord and have anything accredited to me on my behalf. So if I were to stand before the Lord, if I were to stand before the Lord and say, why should I let you in? What, oh, you know, what are you basing on? How can you receive me? I would say there's nothing to my account that, that I could do to get me into heaven. There's nothing. There's nothing I have to offer. There's nothing that I could do. There's no amount of, if I evaluated the motives of my own heart, if you evaluate the motives of your own heart, think about this for a minute. You know, like if you say, if you say the, uh, um, the rich young ruler is, is the standard by which we're called to live where a person sells everything for the Lord, that that's what Jesus was calling them to for eternal life. Um, evaluate the motives of your own heart and you're basing your salvation on that. This is really important. Have you actually sold everything? Has anybody in here actually sold everything for God? Have you? I mean, y'all look really nice to this morning, by the way. I mean, y'all are all dressed up. Most of you are, like, more dressed up than, than I am, really, you know? Like, y'all look, except for Randy. And, uh, and, um, and you know, like, y'all look really nice. I highly doubt, I highly doubt that you have sold everything to meet God's requirement of selling everything. So are you saved? Is there anything that you can do to, to, that is actually going to get you there? Is there any amount of commitment? Evaluate the motives of your heart. But you're standing before the Lord, remember? You're standing before the Lord. Were you fully committed your whole life? Do you really want to be, your standard of salvation, do you want it to be based off of that? Were you committed? Were you really? I'm asking some tough questions. I'm sorry. Were you committed your whole life? Did you really give it your all? A good, like, college try? Did you really, like, evaluate the motives of your heart at once again? Was there anything that you actually did in your life that was a really good work that you could credit to your account? When I think about me, like, even standing up here, like, you know, trying to preach, there's some motives that are evil in my heart right now. Y'all are like getting a little bit nervous. But there's some motives that are evil. Like I'm a self-righteous person in a lot of ways. There is, I, if I evaluate my whole life, there's not a single good work that I can think of that wasn't tainted by sin to some degree. There is nothing that I will be able to do to stand before the Lord and say that, that, that I could accredit anything before my account. But most people, most people, when, they say, when you ask them, what, how do you receive Jesus or some form of that, they say, 
I'm going to commit my life to him. I'm going to serve him with all I've got. I'm going to turn from my sin. I'm going to do all these things, which are really important things, and the Lord has a lot to say about those, but they aren't justification. They aren't your salvation. And if you're trusting in those things, you'll find that they were worthless. Ephesians 2.8, or, well, let me, before I even back up, let me, or go further, excuse me, let me, let me start here. Like, if you say there's, like, just look at the scriptures or whatever. Like, look at Moses' life. Let's think about Moses' life. Was, was Moses really based off of, um, was his eternal security based off of his works? Think about Moses' life for a minute. Moses was like a really good guy, right? He only killed a few people probably, you know. And then at the end of his life, he doesn't even get entrance into the promised land because he like bursts out in anger. A man who was like full of all meekness and humbleness suddenly gets angry and the Lord says, this is such a big sin that you don't even get to enter in the promised land. What you've been taking these people through for the whole time, you know? And he's like crying out, Lord, please just let me in. I just messed up this once. I just messed up this once, you know, let me into the promised land. And the Lord said, no, this is a pretty big deal what you did. This is a pretty big deal. But he still got eternal life. You know, Hebrews talks about that later. Anyway, if you think like King David was a really good guy, right? He was a real good guy. Now, King David was a pretty awesome dude. You know, you like read the Psalms and you're like, this guy, he had it, right? Well, then you all know the story, right? Like King David's kind of an adulterer and his family ends up being a mess. And then he ends up getting thousands of people killed because he... He disobeys the Lord. And he, almost an entire part of his lineage is just marred by sin because of his personal sin. If David wasn't a good guy, like, can you compare to David? Maybe let's take it to a New Testament guy, right? Like Paul. Paul was a really good guy, right? You know, like, and Paul was, seemed to be a good guy. Paul seemed to be a really good guy. But Paul even says in Philippians 3, he says, like, I'm still not perfect. Like, I'm still pretty messed up. There's, like, nothing in my account that I can base, that I can stand before the Lord and be justified in, in Philippians 3. He says that. I'm not perfect. I'm not good enough to get into this. I mean, the only one that you could possibly, like, maybe catch catch me up on or somebody else is, like, Daniel, because there's no sin that, that, that Daniel actually says he committed. But then Daniel himself actually says, like, Lord, forgive me for I'm a sinner. You know, if, if Daniel wouldn't have said, you know, like, I was a sinner personally himself, we may have nothing recorded that he was actually a sinner. But Daniel actually says it about himself that he was a sinner. So he was, he was not perfect himself. So what is the will of the Father? If there's nothing that you can actually do, if it won't be based off your own personal commitment for salvation or eternal life, this is really important. What is the will of the Father? Well, there's two ways into heaven, Right? Y'all are like, what is going on? Two ways into heaven. Two ways into heaven. One is perfection. It's over here. You can be perfect and you can get into heaven. It's way over here. You can be perfect and get into heaven. The other one is way over here. And this is Jesus over here. So you have the opportunity to try to commit and be perfect in it, that's way over there. 
That is way, these two things couldn't be further apart from one another. That's way over there. That's perfection. Jesus is way over here. He's completely opposite of that, except that Jesus was perfect, obviously. You can be perfect, try to attain that, and fall miserably, or you can find yourself in Jesus. So we've got to determine what is the will of a father. What was his clear and concise message about eternal salvation and in receiving Jesus? He says this in John 6. He says, this is the will of the father, 640. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who beholds the son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. Did you catch what he said? It's very simple. It's a very simple message. It's a very easy message, but it's hard for us to grasp. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. So justification, or salvation, to eternal life, if you were to put it in a math equation, you know, do we have any, like, math people here? A few math people, maybe, like, who work in equations? I'm not very good at it, so my math might be wrong. But here's my equation. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Jesus plus nothing equals justification. There is nothing that can be credited to my account, nothing that I can add on to there, nothing that I can do that will, that will equal salvation. I would stand before the Lord and say that there's nothing accredited to my account that I can add to my salvation. So I would would just stand before the Lord. I would say, there's nothing I could do, Lord. It's only through your Son that I would find salvation. I would, and, and I would see Jesus... And, it would, and I would have to say that th- this is the only way that I'm going to make it into heaven. It's through Jesus' work, and my faith is in Him. For by grace you have been saved, not of works of yourself, that no man can boast. All I'm called to is to say that Jesus did the finished work on my behalf, and I find myself caught in Him. I find myself placing my faith my rest in Him. It's not required of me. I'm not obligated to do anything for Him. Now, He will call me to plenty of stuff. No doubt about it. He will call you to a lot of stuff in this lifetime. But there's no obligation on my part to receive salvation. We've established it. There is nothing that you can actually do to be a credit to your account. I'm obligated to do nothing. It's simply faith in Jesus. It's real easy. It's just a simple message. Romans 3 explains it this way. Romans 3, 2 says, if you want to turn there, it's a really good passage. It's clear and simple, I think. Did I say 3, 2? I'm sorry, 3, 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So the righteousness was Jesus. And and, and Jesus completed the law or fulfilled it completely. And the prophets and the law bear witness to that righteousness. Right? The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So all of us who place our faith in Christ 
will find our righteousness in Him based off of His fulfilled work of the law and works, not ours. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all miss the mark of perfection. There's nothing we can do. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. Propitiation is just a big word for substitute. By His blood to be received by faith. So, it's just a gift. It, do you do anything to earn a gift? If I go out and buy you a present, like I'm, and I'm handing it over to you, you know, like I give you a gift, is there anything you did to earn this gift? Do I, and then do I say, hey, but now there's strings attached to it. You have to commit yourself to me. That, like, you have to be obedient. Like, you have to do all these things. It, I'm just giving you this gift, right? If I just give you this gift, all you have to do is what? You just have to receive that thing and take it. You just have to take it. It's not about my personal commitment to receive the gift. And are justified by His grace as a gift through redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. Through this faith, Identifying with Jesus, he passes over our sins. He sees us as righteous. He sees us as clean. 26. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier. He was both just and is able to justify us of the one who has faith in Jesus. Notice how many times it says faith. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. We have nothing that we can actually boast in. There is nothing that you and I will be able to stand before the Lord and say that I did this on my own account. There is nothing that I have to offer. It's solely the work of Jesus. So like, if you're still like, kind of like, ah, I'm not so sure about that, you know, like there's a, there's a lot of examples in, in, the, um, in the New Testament concerning this and Jesus' um, call to faith in essence. Like, y'all remember the woman at the well, right? Um, and, and what did Jesus say to her? It's real simple. He's like, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. Now, this woman at the well, right? She was a really simple woman, right? Like, she was a Samaritan for one. Like, she was a mixed person. She was really looked down upon. She couldn't do the, the temple sacrifices that were required. In fact, God even knew her sin, or Jesus knew her sin, right? He, and he pointed it out to her. He's like, not only do you have like, um, like one husband, but you have several. You have several husbands, like, and that would be a big deal in those days. And she was pretty pagan in nature, and you know, she's going out to the well by herself. She is just like any one of us in a lot of ways. Like, we're pretty messed up people. She was a messed up woman. But Jesus does not call her to any form of... Uh, uh, obligation or anything. He doesn't even say necessarily that you've got to turn from your sin. Now, what I'm saying is kind of a really big deal to some, but he just says, ask if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would give you living water. He just says, it's a very simple thing. 
There's no obligation to it. It's a free gift of God. It's a free gift of God. Acts 16, we see the Philippian jailer, these men who are holding Christians in a jail, or Paul in a jail, and, and a bunch of jailers, and they start singing hymns, and like uh, the, all the, the jail breaks down, you know the story, and this jailer there, he's like, I'm going to lose my life because I've let these criminals go. This Philippian jailer would have obviously been a pagan, you know, because he was, a, he was like a Roman, and he wouldn't have access to the temple or those different things. But he was, he was a, a pagan, a, a pagan man, an evil man in a lot of ways. What does Jesus call him to? Je, what does Jesus say when he says, how must I inherit my eternal life? Does, does Paul turn around and say, oh, you need to start doing this stuff. You need to start, you know, like maybe going to church. You need to really evaluate the cost that this is, that is going to take on your life. You know, like this is going to be a pretty heavy deal. Like, um, it, like you're going to have to really like think through this thing. You know, you're going to have to like really process this and, uh, on w- whether or not you're willing to like undertake what's about to go on in your life. You know, you he, he doesn't, and then he doesn't call him. You don't. He doesn't call him to any specific thing except. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He just says believe. He just says place your faith. Place your trust. Place your assurance in Jesus' finished work. Because see, here, here it is, folks. Like, here, Here's where we find ourselves. As Jesus being faithful where I'm not very faithful. Jesus is really good at keeping his promises where I'm not very good at keeping mine. Like sometimes I promise things to God. Sometimes I like, you know, say, I'm never going to do this thing again, Lord. I promise you this time, you know. Like I'm not very good at keeping those promises. So I'm really hoping that I'm not obligated to, to hold my promises for my eternal salvation. But God is really good at keeping his promises to us. All I have to find myself is placing my faith in him. And where do we find ourselves when we find ourselves faith in Jesus Christ? Romans 8 says it pretty clearly. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What an amazing statement. I mean, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. But there is no condemnation. If I was in that courtroom, standing before the Lord, I've placed my faith in Jesus. Jesus vouches for me. There is no condemnation. God isn't going to look at me and say, you were really bad in this area, and you were really bad in this area, but I'll let you in because of Jesus. You know, that's not going to be it. It says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. John 3.16, if you go back there, it finishes this statement. John 3.16 says it even more clearly than this. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. For those who place our faith in God's, Christ's finished work 
on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, we find ourselves under no condemnation whatsoever. Even now, we find ourselves under no condemnation. We find ourselves completely set free from any debt we would owe. That's a beautiful motivator in a lot of ways, by, by the way. That really moves me to places. It's really hard to, like, be a, to have a motivator when I feel like, you know, I've got to do this thing. I've got to work this thing out. I've got to pull this thing together, you know. I've got to be really good at this. A really good motivator, you know, and I think Scripture would say that is, hey, you got somebody that really loves you a lot. You got somebody who really loves you a lot that he would he would send his son, he would die for you. And we find ourselves, and there is no con- condemnation for those who believe. That's one result of faith. Another is Hebrews 11, 1 through 2, where I see a lot of people who have um, lack of assurance, like they're confused all the time about whether or not I'm going to heaven or whether or not, you know, I'm, I'm making God angry in this way or that way, you know, like Hebrews 11 says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not, not seen. For it is, for by it people of old receive their commendation. So you, you move from condemnation to commendation. That's a really good place to be. Faith, faith in Christ the people who I find, like, are struggling with their assurance, struggling with, like, whether or not I'm going to heaven, struggling with, like, whether or not, like, I'm, um, I'm a true Christian or different things like that, they're people who have actually, like, placed their trust in some form of works that they're, that they're hoping will make them right with God or make God happy with them or some form or fashion of that. But the simple thing that God calls us to is faith in Christ's finished work. And in that, we can have assurance that he did meet the standard. He did meet the mark. He was perfect in it. There is no condemnation for those, but commendation for those who have placed their faith in Christ. And the band can come up, and, and we can, uh, we'll end with this. But it just says, um, we begin to move from a place of, it's about being like a good, like a good Christian or a bad Christian type deal. This begins to move us from that place to where we find ourselves in the secure arms of Christ. Where he proclaims it is finished on the cross, right? Jesus said he finished the work. Not, hey, like, I'm leaving something here for you, you know, like you need to finish up to make sure you make it into eternal life, have eternal life, you know. Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. There's nothing that you have to add or nothing that you have to replace or take away from your life. It's not like you have to suddenly, you know, do right things and stop doing bad things for your eternal life. It's finished on the cross. 
the Lord proclaimed it as so, that there is nothing that you have to add or take away. And so we should find great assurance in knowing that Jesus completed the work. We should find freedom in that, like Paul would proclaim. He would say, all things are legal to me at this point, but not all things are profitable or expedient. He says that I'm free from the debt that I owe. Now I just get to serve the Lord freely. I don't have to sit in a place of, I have to do this, of legalism, basically. I have to do this thing, I've got to do this, I've got to get this all right. Jesus was the one that paid the complete debt. He paid all I owe. I, I, place, I place my hope, I place my hope one day in nothing that I have done. I don't even know what I'm doing half the time. <laughs> you know, I place my hope in Jesus' finished work. And I find a lot of security in that. I found a lot of rest in that. Knowing that God's not like mad at me because I mess up or, or that he's like looking down on me like you need to get this thing right. Now he does discipline me at times and I surely need discipline. But man, that comes from a place of grace. That comes from a place of, man, you know, I'll, I, you're going to be pleasing to me. You know, I, I'm just going to work you through these trials and these fires. And you're becoming pleasing to me, the aroma that's sweet before the Lord. And so, the simple message of my grandfather, and why he preached it so often, like John 3.16, that's all he's ever preaching. It becomes more and more r- real to me. Like a, It becomes more and more important. Like the background of John 3.16 is Nicodemus has come to him. Nicodemus has come to him and said, like, what must I do to enter eternal life? Or enter into the kingdom. And, and Jesus is just telling him the steps to being born again at that point. He's just telling him the steps. And he references this story of where he says, he talks about just look as, as the Israelites did when they looked to the serpent. Right? Y'all remember that story? They had all been bit by snakes and there's like a plague running around. And, and God tells them to build the serpent and put it up on a staff and put it up there so everybody can see. Now, the people who were looking at their sin, who were like looking at their snake bites, looking at those, and didn't look up to the cross, uh, to the cross, excuse me, didn't look up to the, to the snake on a serpent, died. They found themselves like just dead because they, could, they didn't look up. But those who simply looked up saw that thing, found salvation. For us, it's the same way. Like, if you're spending your time, like, looking at your sin, looking at your snake bite, man, I'm, this, this thing is really getting nasty. This thing is, like, it's, like, putrefying. It's getting gross, you know, like, this thing's getting nasty. If you're looking at this thing, you will never look up to Jesus. You will never find yourself in Him. You have the simple opportunity to place your faith in Christ, just to look to Him. Take your eyes off yourself. And here's the hard, here's the thing. It is much easier for me in my mind to say, "Uh, yeah, I'm going to commit myself to the Lord. I'm going to do all these things for the Lord, you know, so that I get His good pleasure. It is much harder for me to find myself, there's nothing I can do. 
I've just got to find myself looking to Jesus for my salvation. That is a harder thing to wrap my mind around in some ways. But it's simple. It's a simple thing still. And so, the opportunity for you this morning is like, if, just if you don't have assurance in where you're going in the end, it's probably because you're placing your trust in yourself. And you're not looking to Christ. If you find yourself under condemnation, walking through the Christian life, it's probably because you're placing your trust in yourself. If you're feeling like, I got to do this thing, I got to do that thing, you know, you're probably placing the emphasis on you. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus this morning. You can come down and pray if you'd like this morning, and um, there'll be people to pray over you. We want to pray over you. Uh, But really evaluate those things. Evaluate the motives of your own heart. I'm going to pray for us and just pray that the Lord would begin to open our minds and our hearts to those things um, like He did to so many before us. Dear Lord, I'm just so thankful that You would draw us into Yourself. You said You would draw all men to Yourself. You would draw all men to Yourself. And you said the Holy Spirit would convict us of sin and righteousness. And some people are being convicted, convicted of sin and righteousness even now. With its purpose and its end, not for them to trust in themselves more, but to look to Jesus. Lord, if we're struggling with assurance this morning... May you evaluate the motives of our own heart. Are we trusting in ourselves to finish this work and for to find our fellowship with God, to be made right with God? Are we trusting in ourselves? Are we trusting that our works is some way tied to our justification before you, making us right before you, Lord? I pray that you would take that from us. And even the faith that we have comes from you, Lord. I pray that you would give us that faith this morning. It doesn't matter necessarily if it's a small faith or a big faith even. You're a big God. And so, Lord, I pray that we would set our our hope, our anchor in Christ, in His finished work. Forgive me, forgive us where we mess up that very simple message. Very simple. Of the free gift of God. Thank you. In Jesus' name.